That's how you turn job announcements mm. into wealth, by figuring out how to quantify future demand. In this episode, Bo is teaching me how to calculate future demand for space. At the end of the video, he is sharing a real world example based on his calculations of an opportunity that can make you a ton of money, which is information I think he should be gatekeeping. This is the Commercial Real Estate Podcast where Bo Barron, CCIM, teaches me, Timmy Barron, ADHD, about commercial real estate. Stick around to the end of every episode because Bo quizzes me on what I learned. Can you beat my score? That you can't. This is Commercially Speaking. It's clear there's 120 jobs that are coming with this company moving to Owensboro. Yes. But what does that mean to you? Well, I pay a lot of attention to job growth, mainly because jobs bring people and people use space. And I'm in the business of helping people find and use space Mm. or own space or invest in space. It all boils down to people and essentially jobs. So when I see a job announcement, my ears perk up. Mm. That means potentially there's going to be more demand for what I do. So it makes a ton of sense to pay attention to that. Uh, There's two different types of jobs, and they're not equal, and they're poorly named. So you have basic jobs, and you have non-basic jobs. Now, I was thinking about this earlier. I'm a non-basic. Like, my job, what I do is non-basic. What you do is basic. Now, the reason these are poorly named When I tell you you have a basic job, that doesn't sound awesome. No. That almost sounds less than. I've owned a couple F-150s in my life. I love that truck. And there's all kinds of different trim packages. Like they've got a bunch of options. You've got the base model, the basic model, and you've got the FX4, the STX, you've got the Limited, the Platinum, the King Ranch, the Trimmer. You've got all these different options, the Raptor version of it. But the basic model is the cheapest. It's got the less, you know. So when I think basic, I think, you know, like. I think the term that comes to the head for me is basic bitch. Yeah. Have you heard that term? Yeah. I have not. You have not? Uh-uh. Oh, okay. Well, this is for the half of the, the audience that knows that term. <laughs> a, a Karen would be a basic bitch. I got you. Yeah. My 13-year-old daughter, she has started using the term Karen now. Mm. Like She knows what a Karen is, mm-hmm. which I think is a stir. Mm-hmm. But getting back to basic, like basic sounds like it's not awesome. But man, when you're talking jobs, basic jobs are the ones you want. Like if I were in economic development and my job was to bring more jobs to Owensboro, Kentucky, mm-hmm. I'm looking for the basic jobs. All jobs are good. Basic jobs are better. And what basic jobs are, they're the jobs that make stuff. That, yeah, I mean, it could be a service. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't make stuff. Like, I can't buy something for you that you created and, like, hold it in my hand and take it home from me. But you make a product that is consumed outside your market. Mm-hmm. And in exchange, new dollar bills come into your market. New dollar bills are a huge thing. <laughs> yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. New dollar bills. New dollar bills are a huge deal. And that's what basic jobs, they export what they make, and they bring new dollar bills into the community. So I'm guessing if you're on a TV show or you make a commercial and you do it there in Chicago, it's consumed all over the country, potentially. Mm. And, you know, me, 
if if I watched the episode of Chicago Fire that you're on mm-hmm. through my Netflix subs- subscription, I'm paying Netflix. Netflix is paying uh, the show that goes back to the studio in Chicago, and you get paid. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are new dollar bills. Indirectly, my dollars end up in Chicago. That's great for Chicago, and here's why. Imagine uh, you're on a commercial shoot like you were last week, uh-huh. right? You get paid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you leave with a check, and on your way home, uh, you stop for coffee. What's your favorite coffee shop? Um, Happy Monday. Okay, so you stop at Happy Monday, and you see your buddy behind the counter. Wh- who's your person behind the counter? Joe. Joe. So you see Joe. You know Joe. And you buy a cup of coffee from Joe, and you might hang out there and do a little work on your laptop. But you spend some money at Happy Mondays, and because you do, Joe gets paid. Mm-hmm. He gets a paycheck because you uh, spent some money there. Now, before he gets paid, some of your money goes to taxes. When Joe gets paid, he has to pay taxes, right? And he might save some. So now let's say... $10 of what you spent ends up with Joe, he doesn't have $10 anymore. He'd probably have $7.5 that he can go spend. And maybe on the way home, he wants a donut, so he stops at Dunkin' Donuts, and he spends $5. When dollar bills are circulated within a local economy, it continues to dwindle. Hmm. Taxes, savings, it just... Now, it continues to circulate over and over again, but it continues to dwindle at the same time which is why you don't have new dollar bills coming into your community, you end up dwindling down. That's a dying community. you got to have the basic jobs. Mm-hmm. Are you waving at me? No, the, the, I'm seeing the light change when I put my hand up. The, the, okay. Just the exposure. Okay. So, <laughs> hello. <laughs> so basic jobs are a big deal because they bring the new dollar bills in to the community. Mm. And if if not... And you've got leakage because of taxes and savings, and you'll have a dying community. So the basic jobs, the other great thing about them, not only do they bring the new dollar bills in, but they have a multiplier effect. So every basic job has a certain amount of non-basic jobs that it creates. And you can do the math on any community and figure out what that multiplier is. Mm. It's location-specific. So if I had to guess, in Cook County, Illinois, in Chicago... I would expect the multiplier to be very high because it's an extremely diverse economy in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So for every basic job, you might have seven or eight non-basic jobs. If you think about it, this makes a ton of sense. You and the entertainment production in Chicago, there's lots of uh, Timmy's, there's lots of shows that are made there. Uh, That's why you live there, right? If that part of the economy wasn't there, you wouldn't live there. Mm -hmm. So... You shop at, what's the Monday place you were just mentioning? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Like, if all of the U's that have basic jobs left, like, Happy Monday would suffer. So would Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, So would everywhere else Joe shops because your job left. Mm. So there's this multiplier effect. If these 120 jobs that come into Owensboro, they need lawyers, they need realtors. They need barbers. They're going to support the local restaurants. So there's going to be more server positions. All of those are non-basic jobs. They're going to need more guys like me 
also a non-basic job. What I do basically just circulates. So that multiplier effect is a big deal. In Owensboro, the multiplier, we call it an economic base multiplier, is about five. So 120 basic jobs, you multiply by five, and that's actually 600 new jobs. Mm. And this is where this gets pretty exciting. 600 new jobs. 120 of them are basic jobs. 480 of them are non-basic jobs. But now 600 new people have work. And they're probably not in Owensboro right now. So people can come here for the jobs. Mm. So there's going to be 600 new jobs. That's uh, that's even better than 120. Right. But that's why basic, non-basic really makes sense. When I see a job announcement, I got to figure out, are those basic jobs or non-basic jobs? Mm -hmm. And then I can apply the multiplier. And then we can start to do really cool things like quantify future demand for space. So in Owensboro, you got a multiplier of five. That's based on the population? That's based on the type of jobs that are here and the population. So there's two ways to figure out what the economic base multiplier is. And I'll try to make this really quick and simple because this gets way geeky. Mm -hmm. Option one is the most accurate way. And I can go interview every employer in town, ask them about every employee that they have and what they do and where the stuff they make goes and just count. Now, about the time I spend 18 months doing that, uh, the data's not any good anyway because everything's changed. Like Nobody's got time for that. So there's basically a statistical analysis uh, that is option two, and this is what's used, and this is what's called economic base analysis. And you essentially compare the job industries in your local town to what is the entire United States. To give you an example, you know, manufacturing. I'm just going to pick a number. I don't know what they are. But in the United States, let's say 8% of jobs are in manufacturing, and that serves the United States. If in Owensboro, we have 10%, I, I don't know what it is either, but you could look it up. Let's say 10% are, uh, are in manufacturing. Then we've got more than the national average, so we have basic jobs. Some of the manufacturing does it's, it's more than what we would need to just serve Owensboro, so we export the rest. A lot of statistical analysis, which I think is fun, mm. uh, but nobody else does. Yeah, you're right. But that's how you figure out how much of the jobs you have in a community are basic jobs, and then you just divide. There's 1,000 basic jobs, and there's 50,000 people. Mm -hmm. Then you have an EBM of 10, not, not 50,000 people, but if there's 50,000 jobs, and 5,000 of them are basic jobs, you have an ec economic base multiplier of 10. Okay. Very geeky. Yeah. And the larger the community and the more diverse the economy is, generally the higher the economic base multiplier is. So you take a smaller town like Owensboro, you might get somewhere between three and six. You start looking at Nashville, Chicago, some of the other places, I'm going to expect larger economic base multiplier, like seven, eight, nine, something like that. Is there not an app for that? There's the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS. It's a government website that tracks all the employment data. And you can get raw data on anything, pretty much. Now, what you do with it is the trick. We've got some tools, like I can figure out this stuff fairly quickly. Most people don't even. Why would you want to, unless you're me? Right. Would all brokers have that a basic understanding of this? 
They they wouldn't. How did you know to do this? Well, it's part of the CCIM curriculum. So if you go and get your designation, you're going to take a course called CI 102, mm-hmm. which is on market analysis. And this is what we teach in that course. So CCIMs, like if they have the designation, they've gone through this course. They may not use it day to day, gotcha. but they at least learned it at one point in time. Here's the whole model. You get a job announcement. You figure out if it's basic or non-basic. The basic jobs, you apply that economic base multiplier. You figure out total new jobs that are coming. Now, those people come with families. So you want to get to total population. So you go from basic jobs to total jobs. You can go from total jobs to total population by applying the population to employment ratio, which is really easy to get. You just look at a look at a town, say there's X amount of people, and mm. you can look up how many of those people have jobs, and you just do the math. So in Owensboro, it's 2.08. For every job, there's 2.08 total people. In Hardin County, Kentucky, mm-hmm. which is Elizabethtown, it's 2.57. Or something like that. Everybody, every place has a different population to employment ratio. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So total basic jobs go to total jobs go to total new people, and now you can start to predict demand. This is the fun part. We have self storage, and if I know there's 120 new jobs, basic jobs coming, that's going to turn into 600 new jobs total. And our population employment ratio is 2.08. So do the math. That's like, what, 1,248 mm-hmm. new total people. And if I know, on average, in Owensboro, we have about eight, a little more than eight square foot of demand per person mm-hmm. for self-storage, then this job announcement of 120 people means Owensboro is going to have a demand that it doesn't have right now for 11,000 more square feet of self-storage. Whoa. I'm not going to go out and buy or build a new facility because of 120 jobs, but I should expect occupancy to go up. And if occupancy goes up, we might be able to raise rates more aggressively. Mm -hmm. So that that makes sense. Yeah, supply and demand. If you're an apartment developer, it could mean this. There are 1,248 new people that are coming to Owensboro because of those 120 jobs. Now, we want to figure out how many households that means. How many new households? Well, you can look it up. And the average size of a household in Owensboro is 2.45. So you take 1,248 divided by 2.45, and you get, I think, like 510 new households. They have to live somewhere. And these Big Rivers jobs, their average income for those 120 new jobs is like $100,000. Those are really good paying jobs. Wow. Most of them, they're going to buy houses. Well, the, the average in Owensboro is 30% of people rent and about 60% of people own. So 510 new households, 30% of them are going to rent. So you multiply 510 by 30% and you come up with something like 153 there's going to be a demand for 153 new apartments and demand for about 350 new homes. Well, if I'm an apartment developer, that might mean might need to build some more apartments. Mm. We don't have that many vacant apartments in Owensboro to handle that right now. Somebody needs to build some more. Mm-hmm. 
So when you can quantify future demand, you can make some decisions that can potentially make you a lot of money. That's right. Yeah. Like in this case, the decision to, hey, I'll go ahead and build an apartment complex. Yeah. Somebody could go out there and build a 150 unit apartment complex and fully expect in a couple of years, it should be full. Wow. Or at least what we would call stabilized. Right. Well, you're not necessarily in the business of building apartment complexes, but what that means to you is, what are you on the lookout for land that you can be the broker to the seller and buyer? Yes. Or what we can do is we can market the land that we do have listed as being ideal for multifamily development because there's this new demand coming. And I'm not just blowing smoke. I can give them the numbers from the economic base analysis. Wow. Hey, look, it makes a lot of sense. Now, one thing you can't forget when you're doing this kind of projection is what's in the pipeline. There might be an apartment complex that's in process right now that hasn't started being built yet, but they've got permits and I might know, I might not know about it. So you can call planning and zoning or whatever that's called in your local market, and they'll give you that information. You just ask, hey, are there any apartment complexes being, are, are any in the pipeline right now? Matter of fact, this is what happened to me a couple months ago. We were looking at a community, Dixon, Tennessee. It looked like there was a really good site there for a self-storage development. And me and a buddy of mine out of Nashville were looking at Dixon to decide, should we develop self-storage in this little town in Tennessee? Mm-hmm. Looked like the demand was there. The site was really good. When we looked at the pipeline, there was a ton of self-storage. Well over 100,000 square feet were being developed. Uh, Maybe even closer to 150. Just a lot for a small town like that. And so we were like, look, they're going to get to market before us. By the time we created what we would create, it's going to be oversaturated. There's not enough future demand to absorb all that new space. And so we left Dixon alone. We decided not to do it. So the pipeline really matters. But when you're predicting demand, you know, you can turn a job announcement into this town needs this many new apartments or this much more self-storage. You can quantify it. Wow. And then, you know, if you go look at the pipeline and there's nothing in there, you can be the one to meet that demand. And that's where a lot of money can be. But what about the other factors that are affecting the community? Like there's always an ebb and flow of a couple of people lost their job over here and somebody was hired over here. And so your market kind of reaches equilibrium to some extent. The job announcements, positive or negative, really tend to move the needle. So in a small community like Owensboro, where we've got about 100,000 people, 120 jobs, that's a that moves the needle in a significant way. Yeah. That's a big announcement. If some factory in town announced that they were laying off 120 people, this would work in reverse. It would be just as big a deal in reverse, which is why you look at San Francisco right now and you look at Seattle mm-hmm. and you've got these tech companies with massive layoffs, Microsoft, Twitter, some of the others just in the last couple of weeks have announced big time layoffs. All that we've talked about, how exciting 120 jobs would be for Owensboro is crushing the Pacific Northwest. So they're going to have way less demand. And it's not just that they lost X amount of jobs, but it's the multiplier effect. Those non-basic jobs go away Mm -hmm. too. Those people go away. You've got less demand for all types of space, whether it's office, industrial, retail, multifamily, 
all that gets impacted. So when you apply this to the different sectors, for instance, we've talked about self-storage. Mm -hmm. We've talked about multifamily. Let's just talk about retail for a second, and then I'll address office. Are you having fun yet? If you are, in fact, enjoying these videos, I want to invite you to subscribe to our channel, turn on that notification bell, ding, ding, and ask us any questions you've got in the comments. Back to the good shit. When you quantify demand for retail, you take the total population that's coming. So in this case, 1,248 to Owensboro. 120 jobs, basic jobs become 600. Total jobs becomes 1,248 total people. The average income in Owensboro is $55,000 and some change. So those 1,200 some odd people end up being $28 million of income to spend. That's what retailers look at, disposable income. So in this case, 120 basic jobs ends up being about $28 million in disposable income. So we should expect there will be more demand for retail. Mm -hmm. That's good. And when it comes to office, traditionally what you would do is you would look at the new jobs. You would look at those 120 new jobs, 480 non-basic jobs, and you would see what sectors they would generally be in. Because you can look and say, okay, if we need this many new accountants, they're going to be in office. Okay. But if we need this many uh, landscapers, they don't use office space. So you see what sectors those jobs are in. Those 120 new jobs, those are basically office jobs. And so we can quantify how many of those jobs are going to use office. We can look at a market and say, there's this many people who use office. There's this much office space. Therefore, every person who uses office will use X amount of space. So traditionally, it was like 200 square feet of office space per employee. But what COVID did was it forced all these companies to send their people home. And they figured out they work just fine from home. And I don't have to pay for all this space. So that's what U.S. Bank has just announced in our town. They're giving up 100,000 square feet of office space. But those people are still employed. So it's really, really hard right now to quantify demand for office mm. because it's changing so much. Like I can't go out and quantify right now how many square feet per office user there is. Mm -hmm. It's changing very rapidly. And I can't look at an employee now and know whether they're working from home or working from office. It, and, and the smart people, the economists, they think it's probably going to be about three years before we understand what office use is going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to predict demand in office right now. Mm -hmm. Some companies right now are laying off people in a big way. It's hitting the tech sector really hard in the last week or two. But some companies are just, they're just not using office space anymore. They're sending their people home and they're still employed. They're still getting paid. The jobs, that disposable income that drives retail demand, it's still there. But the office demand isn't there. So that's a, that's a tricky, tricky thing to figure out right now. If I'm in the business of commercial real estate and office space is a huge part of my business, and it's like, okay, the next three years, we can't really predict what's going on. What do you do in that situation? It sounds like bad news for a commercial real estate broker. Yeah, if you're brokering space, it's much harder to find the big company to take a big chunk of office space. Smaller users are still out there. Somebody who needs 2,000 square feet. And then there's this new market that really wasn't around much before. The folks that got sent home, a lot of them hate working from home. And they just like an office to go to. Mm -hmm. 
And so this is kind of something that we, we've done. We've taken a couple of properties that we own and we've turned them into what we call the hub space. It's not co-working space, but there's a shared conference room, shared restroom, shared kitchenette, and you have your own office, which you can lock, you can decorate however you want, but you go in there and work. And we've set it up like a membership. So kind of like a gym membership mm-hmm. and you just pay a monthly membership fee. You have your office and there's no long-term leases. Uh, you don't pay utilities. You don't have to move furniture. You just show up with your laptop and you're ready to go. So we have seen new demand for space like that, mm-hmm. which wasn't around much, at least not in small town America. When you're looking at the jobs, right? And then you uh, decide you want to see what category of job it is. So manufacturing, you know, that these number of jobs are manu- manufacturing. How do you how do you find that out? Is that a simple Google search or is there another math equation you put to that? It's it's not a Google search. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out monthly data on jobs in any location. All right. So you can pull the raw data and see what it says. You could also just use your brain in a town our size. There's 120 new jobs. I can tell real easily what those jobs are. Those are white-collar office jobs. And the non-basic jobs that they throw out, those extra 480, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to assume they're going to fall out in the same distribution, the same percentages as the jobs we have now. So let's say there's 2.3% of jobs in this town are attorneys. I'm going to assume 2.3% of those 480 non-basic jobs are going to be attorneys. Gotcha. So I just use the existing industry mix of jobs that we have. Right. It's just an assumption for speed, and it's close enough. Which you would know that because you've been doing this for, you know, you've been in this and in this market for a long time. If I am a new broker to the area and I don't know that information quite yet, like though there's 2.4% of jobs are attorneys that... Well, you could find that data. You'll get it from BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics, mm-hmm. just like I could. You just might not know to look for it. Well, if I listen to this podcast, I would. If I listen to this podcast, I know how to do everything. You know what the funny thing about the BLS website is? What? It's the most black hole of a site I've ever seen. I've gotten so lost on that site. It's kind of like wading into the ocean. Yeah without knowing what rock on the bottom you're looking for. Oh, my God. It is unbelievable. Literally, the the reason I know how to use BLS is because a broker in Dallas showed me how to do it. Wow. I don't know if I could have figured it out. Matter of fact, I've never had an original thought in my life. <laughs> it's all stuff I've learned from books or other people. Right. Uh, just like everybody else, pretty much. So right. you can figure it out, but, man, that BLS website is unbelievable. I wonder... I want, because with chat GPT, the open source AI would have access to that data. Because what you just described of this is a black hole of information on this site, how much easier it's going to be to find the information you're looking for with AI getting to the point it's at. Just an interesting thing to think about. I'm really curious to see how that plays out. Mm Mm-hmm. Commercial real estate is archaic when it comes to the adoption of technology and stuff. So my guess is the early adopters are going to have a real competitive advantage, at least for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're going to have to show me how to use that. Yeah, I will. You want to look at a different job announcement example? Because mm-hmm. 120 jobs in Owensboro, that's exciting. But Elizabethtown, 
September of 2021, Ford announced that they're going to put 5,000 jobs in Elizabethtown, making batteries for their electric vehicles. So the first question you ask is what? Are these basic or non-basic jobs? Right. How, what's the number again? It's 5,000. 5,000 so jobs. Okay. Yeah. So let's do the math. There's 111,000 people in, in uh, Hardin County, Kentucky, by the way. Okay. Hold on. Let, so, let me write this down. I want to do this with you. Yeah. No, we'll do the math. Okay. We've got 5,000 new jobs coming to Elizabethtown. Yeah. So basic or non-basic? Uh, They're making batteries for electronic vehicles. Those would be basic jobs. Why? Because those batteries are going to service, are going to go to vehicles that are being bought by people all around outside of Elizabethtown, right? That's right. So that would be a basic job. Totally. So they're exporting what they make outside the community. New dollar bills are coming in. So those are basic jobs. So the next thing you need to know is what's the economic base multiplier for Hardin County, Kentucky, or Elizabethtown? Yeah. And in order to get that... I looked it up. You just looked it up. Using a tool that if you're not a CCIM, you wouldn't have access to. Okay. But anyway, it's 5.56 economic base multiplier. And what that means is for every one basic job, there are 4.56 non-basic jobs. Okay. So we've got 5,000 new basic jobs. How many total new jobs will there be in Elizabethtown in a couple of years? So... We would multiply, we'll just use four, right? Multiply by four. No. You multiply, you multiply by five. Multiply by five. Oh, yes. Yeah. Multiply by five. So that'd be 25,000 non-basic jobs, meaning 30,000 jobs in total? Yeah, so. Or would 25,000 be the total number of jobs? 5,000 times, and I'm going to use the actual number, 5.56. Okay. That gives us 27,800 new total jobs, 5,000 of which are basic. Okay. Gotcha. So those 5,000 new jobs are in there. Right. So, All right. So that leaves us with 22,800 non-basic new jobs. Mm-hmm. After you get to total employment, you really don't need to differentiate between the two. Okay. Right. So total employment, 27,800. Now you want to go from total employment new employment to total new population. So now you need the population to employment ratio. In Owensboro, it was 2.08. In Elizabethtown, it's 2.57. So you multiply this 27,800 by 2.57. That's 71,446 new people. Where where I got lost in that is 2.57. Where did we get that number? You look at... How many people live in Elizabethtown? Uh-huh. 111 and some change. And how many people are employed? It's 43,000 and some change. And you divide, and you get 2.57. So you take the population, divide it by the people who are employed. Yep. And that's their population to employment ratio. So since we're forecasting new employment, we're going to assume that that ratio is basically going to stay the same. And you multiply the new jobs times 2.57 to get the total new people 71,000. 71,000. Now, let me ask you this. There's 111,000 people that are there right now. Mm-hmm. And you're going to add 71,000 new people? Yeah. Oh, wow. Do they have the infrastructure for that? Do they have the sewer capacity for that? Do they That's have a lot of poop. schools that can handle? That's a lot of new poop. That many new kids? That's a lot of poop. Now, apply a little bit of common sense at this point. Elizabethtown is 45 minutes south of Louisville. 
or commuters. Are all those new jobs going to actually move to Elizabethtown? No, they're not. There's going to be plenty of people that will commute from Louisville or work from the space between Louisville and Elizabethtown along I-65. That's going to get developed out more so than it is right now. People are going to start living in that space. So to quantify just apartments, let's make an assumption that there's not going to be 71,000 new people living in Elizabethtown. Let's say 50,000. And we'll just guess that 21,000 are going to come from Louisville itself. It's reasonable to expect that there's plenty of people that are going to make that drive every day and then go home mm -hmm. and not actually move to Elizabethtown. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. You could even cut this in half and say, all right, 71,000. Let's just say 35,000 new people are going to end up living in Elizabethtown. That's 30% more people than they have right now. That's massive growth. How many apartments are they going to need? That's the question. And it's really easy to figure out. Well, all you need to know. You need to know the number the number of people per job, right? Sort of. So we're gonna we're just gonna we're gonna project thirty five thousand new people, right? Okay, probably gonna be more than that, but we'll just project that to stay conservative. Mm -hmm. And then we need to know average household size, right? To get average household size, you look at how many households there are and how many people are in the community. Let's see, average household size. In Elizabethtown is 2.51. So you take 35,000 divided by 2.51. What do you get? 35,000 divided by 2.51. I'll need a calculator. You got it? You got 14,000. 14,000? It's actually 13,944. Okay. But let's just say 14,000. You're going to need 14,000 new housing units to handle 14,000 new households. When I was in Elizabethtown, before the interest rate, increase started hitting. So it was probably May or June I was there and I was talking to a realtor who said there were 20 houses on the market in Elizabethtown right now. Just 20. They got 14,000 new households coming and they had 20, whoa, 20 homes for sale. Place is going nuts. They don't have inventory. You're going to have to build. If you have 14,000 new households, you need to know what percentage of people rent and what percentage of people buy in that community. 32.9% of people rent in Elizabethtown. So let's take this 13,944. We're going to multiply it by 32.9%. And that gives us 4,587 people are going to rent households, I should say, not people. Elizabethtown needs another 4,500 apartments. Elizabethtown, population 111,000 people right now. Needs another 4,500 wow. apartments. That's insane. Would that I be, would that I was an apartment developer. Like I'd go there and I'd build apartments. My good buddy out of Bowling Green is doing this very thing. He's building a 320-unit apartment complex. That's a large single apartment complex. They're going to need like more than 10 more of those. Now, this is something I would know. Before I decided to go build some apartments in Elizabethtown, I definitely want to take a look at what's coming down the pipeline. What what are it, what's in pre-development? That's right. You would, and you would see my buddy's apartment complex. You would probably see some others. My guess is, and it's pure speculation. I have no idea, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were fifteen hundred apartment units in the pipeline in Elizabethtown. That's right. Which means you still need another three thousand. Yeah, that's wow, unbelievable. 
That's insane. Now, if you're a self-storage guy like we are, if you have 35,000 new people living in Elizabethtown in a couple years, and let's just say, you know, in Owensboro, it's like a little over eight square feet per person of use of, of self-storage. Let's just use seven. That means there's going to be a demand for another 245,000 square feet of self-storage in Elizabethtown. Should I go find some land in Elizabethtown? Uh, well, you want to look at what's going down the pipeline. Who's who's in in pre development? Yeah, that's true, right? But you could assume not enough people have. If your average new facility is somewhere between forty and sixty thousand square feet, then let's just say fifty. You need five new fifty thousand square feet self storage developments in Elizabethtown in the coming years. There's probably not that in the pipeline, though I would check. I did check, actually. There is some in the pipeline, and uh, I am very interested in Elizabethtown. And if somebody on this podcast, some listener, hears that and goes to Elizabethtown and competes with me in self-storage, well, then I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. And good on you yeah. for recognizing demand. But there's probably enough demand to go around. We could probably both go there and be wildly successful if we can find the right site. That's how you turn job announcements mm. into wealth, mm. by figuring out how to quantify future demand. If I hear this podcast, I hear this information that's gold, and I'm in a spot where it's like, oh, I got to go to Elizabethtown and get some storage units built for this. Where's the risk for me in this particular scenario? In the context of this podcast, we're making a big assumption that everything else in Elizabethtown is going to remain the same right. for the next couple of years. That's probably not true. Things could get better. Things could get worse. 2023, we're likely to see a recession in the economy. That could change the dynamic completely. So there's that. And then just developing something is tricky, even when you know the demand's coming. You got to find the right site. Make sure you don't overpay. You got to make sure that that Elizabethtown pays enough rent for self storage to justify buying something. I went and found a site I loved. I put it under contract. I did the analysis on zoning, and it was zoned correctly. I didn't even need to get it rezoned. And when I did the competitive market analysis and saw what Elizabethtown was paying, and I and I figured out what it would cost me to build what I wanted to build. There was a 1% return, mm. probably a $7 million deal development cost and a 1% return after five years. That doesn't sound very good. Like you're not going to do that deal. No. And if I could push rents by over 20% than what everybody else was getting in the market, it almost made sense on paper. But that's a big guess. Right. So if the rents aren't there, they might need the self-storage. But if the whole market has low rents for self-storage, which this market did. It didn't pencil out. Like the financial feasibility test didn't. So caution, big caution here. Don't just hear demand is coming and think I can build it and it's going to be okay. If I would have bought that site and built that facility there, there's a really good chance that I would have filled it up and it still wouldn't have made money because the rents are so low there. Now there's a good chance that I could push rents and with that much demand coming, there's a good chance that demand drives prices up. But that's hard to quantify. Right. 
And if I was going to use a group of investors' money, bury it with some debt, that raises my risk profile on a, I hope I can get 20% more rent than the market. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to consider. Right. And if you can answer all those questions and make it work on paper and the demand is coming, man, what happens if Ford changes its mind? But when you can quantify demand, you can get a certain amount of certainty. Yeah. Yep. Which helps a bunch. All right. Cool. Well, I know where I'm going to put my savings. Um, I've got like two, $3,000 I could uh, chip in on a storage unit with you if you want to. <laughs> we'll talk about that on the next podcast. Cool. Well, you know, with going through all that, we've got tons to dive into on this podcast. Tons. 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 And what it seems like to me, Bo, is the math is the math. It doesn't matter if you're in Chicago, Owensboro, wherever you're at in America. The math is the math. The math is easy. Getting those ratios can be complicated. Mm-hmm. Finding the raw data can be a trick. Mm-hmm. But once you figure that stuff out, the actual math of computing the demand, that's not hard. Yeah. I mean, we were multiplying and dividing. That was it. Right. But we got to figure out what X is. That's the hard part. Yeah, that's right. Well, great. I feel so much more uh, dumb. (laughs) I thought you were going to say smarter. Yeah, I was going to, but... uh, I thought you were going to pull out, I feel more smarter. Yeah, I feel more smarter. (laughs) I was going to say, I feel smarter. And as I was saying it, uh, I realized just how dumb I was. All right, so quickie quiz. We, or you, I should say, came up with this idea of doing the pop quiz at the end of the episode after we'd done a couple episodes. So, man, let's go back and uh, tag on some quickie quizzes. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, question one. And there has been some time since we did this episode, so I'm actually going to be impressed if you get some of these. What does E-B-A stand for? Equity balance acquisition. That is a great and royally incorrect answer. Can you give me the first? The first? Economic. Economic-based multiplier. Ooh, now, let me ask you the question oh, again. EBA. EBA. Economic-based assessment? Oh, that was really close. Economic-based analysis. Analysis, okay, yeah. All right, what economic-based analysis is, it's the theory that there are certain types of jobs that have more of a ripple effect and that you can calculate demand based on the economic base of a community and how those jobs are forecast to change okay. over time. Next question, since you already answered it, what is EBM? Economic base multiplier. Okay, now before that is correct, before we talk about what that actually is quickly, what is the difference between a basic and non-basic job. Sure. I, I know this one. Yeah? Yeah. A basic job is a job that brings dollars into the community. What kind of dollars? Brings dollars from outside of the community into the community. So yeah, they outside are. dollars. With- new dollar bills. New dollar bills. New dollar bills. New dollar bills, y'all. So a basic job is basically uh, they manufacture or make a product that can be bought from anywhere yeah or just to say it another way yeah is it's a product or service that's produced inside of a community where they produce more of it than their community needs and so they export the excess outside the community mm-hmm. and it brings new dollar bills back in return yes okay that is a basic job it's a basic job and a basic job has an economic base multiplier mm-hmm. which was the previous question yes all right a non-basic job 
is a non-basic job is what is are are oftentimes jobs that will be created when you've got basic jobs coming into the community because it's those that service the community like a barber restaurant attorneys doctors doctors broker broker yeah yeah so non-basic jobs are jobs that circulate dollar bills that are already existing in the community basic jobs export bring new dollar bills in non-basic jobs circulate what's already in there great so the economic base multiplier is what you use to figure out how many non-basic jobs with are created because of the basic jobs that are coming in to the community or to say it another way if one new basic job is created then how many non-basic jobs are created that's the economic base multiplier yeah so you basically take all your jobs mm-hmm that's your numerator, and you divide it by your basic jobs. That's your denominator, and that gives you your economic base multiplier. Yeah, right? and it might be four point two. It might be nine point seven. It really varies from community to community. Right. Most like we're in Chicago right now in the um, office of SVN Chicago. Thank you guys for letting us use your space. Thank you very this much. This is awesome. But Chicago is a very large city, tier one primary city. You know, is it? second or third largest city in the United States? I think third. It's very diverse, right? You don't have one industry here that dominates like Vegas with the uh, hospitality jobs. Yeah. So here it's very diverse. It's very large. I would expect the economic base multiplier to be higher here than where I live in Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's a pretty good recap uh, for the quiz there. Great. Nice job. Thank you very much. It's tax season, y'all. Did you know that you can do things where you don't have to pay income tax? Yeah, it's the way the tax code is written. It's incentivized. You can watch that right here, or it's the next episode that's going to play. Please do all the things that podcasts ask you to do. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, notification bell, leave us a comment of any questions, thoughts, and of course, you can find us on all the social media channels at Commercially Speaking. If you want more and access to bonus content or a place that shows you everywhere we are on the internet, just hit the first link in the show notes. But above everything else, thank you for joining Bo Barron, CCIM, and me, Timmy Barron, ADHD, here at Commercially Speaking. Peace.